0: Welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike. Today we have another repeat guest, uh, Mike Malakoff. And this is actually part two of a two-parter. So uh, episode 87, the one just before this one, was part one of my conversation with Mike. And this is part two. And just to summarize things, uh, Mike uh, started his trip. Uh, on Lake Champlain, which is in upstate New York and borders uh, New York and Vermont. And he made it all the way down to the Bahamas and back. Uh, And this episode sort of chronicles the last part of that trip, which was sort of his trip back from the Bahamas. So uh, it was a really good conversation. It went a little long. We broke it into two. And uh, so this is is, uh, part two.
1: Yeah. And in the first part, Bayla, we talked a lot about anchoring, right? And anchorages and kind of how to find a good one. And then it mer- kind of blended into a discussion of Navionics, right? I think is the fancy word for this. This is a new one for me, right? But uh, kind of some of the, the the tools and the apps and things like that, yep. which was really cool. So yeah, if you haven't listened to 86, go back and, and give that one a listen. And then what we're going to talk about the, the return journey here. So let's finish it up, Bela. Let's get right to it.
0: Yep. And uh, Mike, just to be clear, Navionics is a Application that's used for navigation. Uh so it's an actually an app on your phone. Uh, oh, that's the actual
1: name. That's, of the... that's
0: the actual brand Ooh. name uh-huh. of the app. Uh-huh.
1: What's the general term? Navigation uh, apps? Uh no. chart, plotter,
0: or just chart plotter. chart okay. plotter or a navi- a, yeah. a navigation app. Probably navigation nav app.
1: We yeah. nav can turn it yeah. to nav apps that can be our <laughs> our registered <laughs> trademark. So the lawyers are gonna call me now. Should yeah. Okay, All right. Let's get right to it, Bela.
2: And fortunately, when we left the next day, the weather, the wind quieted down. And for a good portion of it, we had no wind and we were just motoring. And it took us about, I want to say, I'm trying to remember now, uh, took us a good maybe 10 hours to get to the Gulf Stream. And we got to the Gulf Stream at approximately midnight, and we knew it was going to be another six to eight hours crossing over to Florida. And everything was fine. The only thing is, once we got in the Gulf Stream, when we crossed over the first time, it was like a (coughs) lake. There wasn't a ripple. And this time, when we crossed the Gulf Stream, there was no wind, but we dealt with swells. And the swells were... Six to eight feet. Now, fortunately, they were sort of pushing us along, uh, uh, hitting us almost from the beam, but it made it very um, rolly, you know, which my wife did not like at all. And it was like six hours of that. And we were crossing from the Bahamas over to Jensen Beach, Florida. Now, a, a, a side note to this, which now I'll be considered certifiably crazy we're at midnight we're in the middle of nowhere we're crossing the gulf stream it's pitch black not a cloud in the sky we could vaguely see some lights from florida but you know when you're in an area where there's no ambient lighting it, you can see really well and my wife says to me what are those lights and i'm i'm saying what are you talking she says watch those lights uh Baila, I, I, we were watching it was it was the oddest thing because i thought my wife was crazy she said watch how they're moving and there were two there were two main ones a red and white one and a white and blue one and they were moving sideways up and down we couldn't i have no idea what they were but they were something that i had never seen before and and you know this living up in northern u.s like we live in Rural Vermont, you see the sky all the time, and you can see satellites, you see the right. planes, the stars. I had never seen anything like that. And, oh, there uh, you go. Yeah, so that was that was like I said. This is an interesting culmination to our trip back to the, to the U.S. <laughs> so, Who's going to believe us? So you're a believer now. <laughs> I'm a believer. So. <laughs> there you go. So I, I have my tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> because I was trying to communicate with them.
0: Yes, very good. Well, at least you weren't using the tinfoil hat to protect you from lightning.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, we weren't, weren't using, using that. So basically, you know, that was our crossing back over. It went fairly well. And all of this, in terms of timing, was generated by insurance, which mm. is our insurance required us to be north of Florida, by June 1st. So come May, where we were located, I'm now planning the month out. Which gets into, you know, planning and and I had learned that I'm not going to plan it exactly to May 31st of being and I had to be north of Florida. Well, if I leave on this day planning it out now, we we left early enough from uh the abacos so that i had two weeks to play with because again weather could have turned on us sure absolutely and been stuck but we went right back to jensen beach on a mooring ball and and it was a place that we really liked coming down uh and it was where we did most of the work in putting in new solar so we knew the people there it was a great location and we anchored there for a few days uh uh ironically Um, I had mentioned previous things. We had a friend in Palm Beach who was collecting all our mail and everything at one point and we had left stuff there um, uh, like my bike. Um, uh, And we had to go get that, so we had to rent a car and then we were still, you know, 300 miles from the Florida line and I had to leave another 7 to 10 days for that trip, um, which went fairly. Uh, smooth. We didn't run into any weather. We did both uh, intercoastal and ocean uh, sailing. And we ended up with the boat in Brunswick, Georgia, at Brunswick Landing Marina, which is a hurricane hole um, and is a great community of, of sailors and sailboats there. And uh, that's where we went. And we had made a reservation for like June 3rd to go up on the heart. Yeah. And uh, basically got there we got settled then we had to clean the boat you know now we've been on the boat a year so now we have to take everything off uh and get the boat ready to put it up on the hard which was uh you know several days of hard work and did sure. that um and, and the also funny thing about being back before june 1st we got back I think May 26th, about five days before the deadline or six days. So we had plenty of room to work with. The marina, as we got closer to June 1st, said, don't bother us on May 31st, because everybody and his brother who had to be above Florida by June 1st had made a reservation to come into this marina, like 40 boats. Yeah. And I was so glad that we weren't in that uh, now that, rush. Yeah. that rush because I was in the office for a while to pick up a package and they were on the radio saying, don't even come in here, stay out there until it was like an airline, the aer- airplanes, you know, backed yeah. up to yeah. come in. So I was glad wow. we did get there like a week, uh, a week early. So we got the boat, boats on the hard. Uh, they did a great job. We actually strap it down, uh, paid extra for strapping. And uh, electricity because. As you know, in the north, when the boat goes on the hard, it's everything freezes. It's cold, right? In the South, it's humid in the summer, so you need electricity to set up a dehumidifier in the boat. Yeah, so 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 the boat is now sitting on the hard and uh, we had to decompress because we've been on the boat almost a full year. Or if yeah. we we're on the boat a full year
0: yeah, very nice, very nice so uh what uh what are the what are the plans going forward? You know
2: it, it was funny coming in because we just said we need to get off the boat and and decompress and um, and the interesting thing is I am actually in California, and my wife is in Vermont, <laughs> uh-huh. so so we haven't even had time to discuss things yet.
0: So part of the, part of that decompression was decompressed from each other. <laughs>
2: uh, you know, it, it was we, we kind of laughed about that. But, yeah. uh, you know, when you're in the same room <laughs> for right. almost a year, uh, it, yes, it, it, it doesn't doesn't hurt. And, and that was going to be one of my takeaways because uh, I have a list of the takeaways. And, and one of them is love the one you're with. Because when you're in close quarters with your spouse or partner for a year and on a boat, uh, you either learn how to get along and manage disagreements and things like that, or you end up killing one or the other. Yeah. Uh, And believe me, we we saw people going at it, uh, you know, where I'm out of here. I'm getting my stuff and I never want to see you again. I uh, never want to thing. see
0: you and your boat again. <laughs>
2: yeah, and uh, you know, you know what we—I I, think—you know, it's it's like uh, the old thing about grounding your boat. You know, there are those that ground their boat, and they're liars. Yeah, and and I think it's the same with getting along with your partner. Is that you're going to have disagreements, and you know, you just have to work through those things when. You know, as my wife would drive me crazy in the anchorage or docking about being careful and don't hit the boat, and slow down and this and that. That that was probably one of our big things that we would get into sometimes, you know, where I said, all right, well, I'm just going to circle then." You know, I'll sit out here until you're comfortable, you know, but I right. right. have to work. You have to work through that stuff. Uh, and but that was few and far between for us, uh, yeah. you know, but you do have those moments. Yeah. Well, what's that, what else is on your list? Well, I, I would say, oh, as far as, uh, uh, I, I guess, my takeaways. One, Yeah. this is what I've learned from the trip, and I've got it all written down here. One, be flexible. If you're not flexible, you won't survive. Uh, two, costs. They're going to be more than what you anticipate. So be prepared, because there's all these added costs, whether the boat breaks, the marinas, the the whatever. Um, things break. Uh, I've, I've, I've learned that one. Bring backups, but things are going to break. I don't care how prepared you are. As I said, by the end of the trip, okay, it broke. We'll fix it later. I'm not worried yeah. <laughs> about it yeah. anymore. I'm tired of trying to fix everything. Um, expect the unexpected. You know, for all the preparation and everything you do and you think you know, uh, you know, just be prepared you know that things are going to come up that you just never thought of and the next thing is take a deep breath because tomorrow is a new day yeah uh, very good uh, so those are those those are my takeaways uh from yeah. all of this you, you know we, we're we haven't sat down to figure out our next steps i do have the laundry list of things that if you want to come down and help us <laughs> on the boat that need to be taken care of uh the rudder seals I need to check, uh, mm. you know, it, you know, I've seen this and, and on the um, Facebook stuff of people that start leaking from yes. the rudder. And that is not an easy thing to remove or drop That's from right. your boat because it weighs a lot. So, yeah. so while we're in the Marina, the one of the guys there that that works on the boats that he, he really, un, he can check the seals So that the uh, stuffing box, I want to replace that, um, you know, because I think I was getting near the end of the life. Of the stuffing that goes in there and I can go on and on with my list of things that the paddle wheel doesn't work. Uh, The anonometer at the top of the mast has to be replaced. And I'll probably send you, since now we've become somewhat friends, of my list of things to see if I'm missing anything. <laughs> with checking the rigging, yeah. uh, uh, the furler. Um, you have a furling mast, right? I do. Yep. How to tighten that? Because I did start having some issues with the sail going in and out, and sometimes it would get jammed in there. And then I heard that there's a way to tighten. The furler inside mm. and and how to do that and whether I can do that on my own. Uh, yeah, so. So it, I I have that that whole laundry list of of things that have to get done on the boat. And in the meantime, as you said, the cost, I just got the bill for next month for being on the heart. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's an expensive endeavor. Uh. And it, um, but, you know, what else are you going to do with your money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, don't say that to my kids. Yeah. Well, hope my kids are not listening. But, you know, my my plan is to is, is the day I die to spend my last nickel.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like the uh, bumper sticker. I'm spending my kids inheritance. Exactly. Driving a Ferrari. Exactly. Uh, right. That, that type of thing. So, so yeah, we have we have not made our specific plans. I I, I think going down again, I, you know, and we'd be leaving from the you know yeah you're you're there yeah, yeah we're two or three months ahead of where where we were from leaving from Vermont. Um, is to go down for two or three months, I think. Uh, but we're not on the boat for a full year, you know that yeah. that uh you. I, you do need those breaks and, and everybody that we met along the way, even the seasoned people that live on, on the boat, needed the break uh, to, to get off the water. Because like you said, if you're not sitting in a marina, then you're on an anchorage and, you know, you you have to have, you know, that uh care to always make sure that everything is okay and you're constantly checking and you can't right. really rest rest where you just forget everything you know you're right. you know you have to make sure you're safe
0: yeah so and i'll tell you when we talked about anchor anxiety before about sleeping well for me an even higher level of anchor anxiety is leaving your boat when it's at anchor you know, and hopping oh, in the dinghy and and going for a land excursion and then coming back and hoping your boat's still there, <laughs> it, right? That's like super anxiety for me. It, it is.
2: And when we did that a couple of times in the Abacos, I would, as we're on land, I would always make sure we would somehow curve back to the shoreline to see the boat. Yeah. to make sure, is the boat still there and it's calm and, and you know it's not rocky, it's not windy. Right. But you're absolutely right. Is that you're leaving the boat there, and if something were to go, you're not there at all to to deal with it. Uh, right. That was a hundred and fifty feet of chain. <coughs> yeah. On yeah. on those uh, uh those times and uh, you know my wife would always tease me about that. But I, <coughs> I did learn that from others that would always say they never went anywhere without a hundred feet or more of chain. And in the Bahamas, you're talking about depths of six, eight, ten feet at the most, Yeah. yeah. you know, so you weren't, you weren't dropping uh, in 20, 30 feet of water. And right. as you know, when you do the normal calculations, well, let's see if it's 10 feet and it's calm and, that should be 50, 60 feet of chain, give or take. Right. But no, it's it was hundred to 120, 125 feet. Yeah. Just for to, to be cautious.
0: So well as as I as I think about when I'm anchoring, if I have the room, you know, the anchor chain is doing no good in the anchor locker. It's only right. it's only doing me any good if it's deployed.
2: So if, if I can run it all out, I'll run it all out. I mean, why not? Correct. And now that you're talking about it, the windlass is also on my things uh, because it, it, it was leaking, um, um, you know, the seals. And I, had, uh, I did get new seals, but again, it was something I'm not going to take the windlass apart uh, while we're on anchor in the Bahamas, knowing right. that there is no help out there. Right. Uh, so that's 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 one one other thing. But uh, yeah, it, I, I, I probably, you know, in going back um, and we, we haven't decided that, that we want to go say to the Bahamas or do we want to go to the Keys, uh, but we're not ready to give it up. Um, but I will say our eyes are open now to what to expect. Yeah, sure. And I, and I think that will make it a lot easier our second go around is that you know we we kind of know where to go what to avoid uh what we can handle i think our comfort level is is has gone up uh significantly yeah. in dealing with certain weather conditions and and the sea state right uh, i mean your 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 skill your knowledge and your
0: confidence have all increased right which yeah. which which makes for um a better experience overall
2: yeah I I will say, you know, one thing I I have considered, I've said to my wife, I wouldn't, I would like to, before we go again, is to go out with a, either through the school, because I think I told you we did Maryland School of Sailing, where they have uh, what you would call the high-end rough sea state course type thing of, you know, going out in rough weather.
0: Yeah, heavy weather sailing, yeah.
2: Yeah, because... You know, we've done our share in the sense of only because we got caught, but there are those people where, well, wait a second, it's going to be eight to 10 foot waves. The winds are going to be 20 to 30. Oh, we're going. (laughs) What do you mean you're going? No big deal. You know, you just reef the sails and, you know, manage this. And, you know, I, I would like to see that firsthand Rather than get my experience, you know, and getting caught in something like that while we're alone.
1: Because right. the times we
2: have been caught in those things, we've been in the Chesapeake, um, the Delaware Bay. So, you know, it's kind of odd that our, our bad experiences have been inland. Right. Right. Uh, but it also made us even more cautious on the open waters that, you know, I don't want to do that in you know, in the open Atlantic. Right. And, and certainly I've heard that from you because the last couple of people you've had on are like the solo sailor and then <laughs> yes. the family that's crossing the Atlantic. And I kept hearing you say, well, that's not for me. <laughs> three three yep. weeks on, on the open ocean, uh, yep. I'll pass.
0: Yep. You know, it's important to know what works for you and what doesn't work for you yeah and it's it's important to have that clear in your mind, I think so it just oh. it just it saves me a lot of uh, aggravation and anxiety
2: <laughs> yeah no I, I I don't want to do that either, and yeah. uh, my comfort level is fine with the Bahamas and the Caribbean yeah. and I, I just don't have that need to spend three weeks on the open ocean right you know you know going through <coughs> that anxi- anxiety yeah. but I did enjoy the family the father the son the grandfather yes because all their preparation reminded me of all the stuff of going from a weekend sailor on the lake to a full-time cruiser so to speak now we're not going for three straight weeks but you know going along the coast and all the backup stuff now there's some of their backup was backups to the backups which i understand um but that's what you need to do if you're going to do this type of a life, as I call it, yeah. uh, that we did. And, and, you know, that sort of summarizes the whole thing is that uh, there are the great days. You have the hard days and a lot in between. But I don't think in hindsight we would have passed. I think at the end when we really now that we've been on land for a little bit is that it was a great experience. It was a blast. You know, it's something if you would ask me 10 or 20 years ago, would you ever think of taking your own boat to the Bahamas? Right. I would have been your nuts yeah. uh, type of thing. And somehow we came up with this idea three plus years ago. And, and, you know, it was sort of like that thing of the person that climbs Mount Everest. Uh, Our Mount Everest was uh, the beach in the Bahamas, which. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. And you made it a reality. I also
0: think that you were talking about what's next. I think you know going down the coast of the east, the west, the east coast of Florida, around the keys, and then up the west coast. That would be a wonderful trip as well. There's some very nice places all along there. Particularly, I think uh, once you get to the keys, and the the Gulf side, is is less developed and uh, it's qu- it's quite nice. I've been over to Tampa a couple times, and it's quite nice.
2: Yeah. And one of my earlier sailing experiences that got me interested in sailing was a business associate had a sailboat in Tampa Bay and I got to go out a bunch of times and it was like a lot of fun uh, doing that. But we did meet a lot of people that had, uh, you know, when we'd ask them where they're going, they're going down to the keys or they're going around to Tampa. And then we also met a lot of people that because of the hurricane that hit Florida, they had moved their boat from Tampa all the way around and, you know, we're hiding it on the East Coast right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of people that just stay coastal, uh, you know, with Florida. And, and I will say that is the other comfort level because I laughed when you brought this up that you know the distance of the Coast Guard helicopter <laughs> <laughs> offshore. Yes. <laughs> and, You know, and it it was just to me, that was for us a huge comfort level that. While you were in the coastal waters of the U.S., you constantly heard the Coast Guard was constantly talking, helping people, communicating with people, and we were getting their signals in the Bahamas and we knew that they would come over there. Uh, Well, well, they did in a couple of instances. As a matter of fact, the. Uh, which made national news—the high school kid that jumped off the boat in Nassau. Oh yeah, at night, right.
0: The cruise ship. That
2: unfortunately, that was not the place to decide to go swimming at night uh, because of the sharks. Um, but the Coast Guard got involved with that immediately, and you know we followed that. Um, yeah. Uh, you know where they would come over and to and to help. Uh, in the Bahamas because they just don't have the same resources. Right. So, um, so yes, I was, I was intrigued by your, uh, <laughs> your, your 150 mile limit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Whether, whether that's accurate or not, or whether it's, you know, real, I don't know, but it's comforting either way.
2: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I think the last thing with the boat and everything is that, we I do realize after a year that there's so much that you need to now go over on the boat to check everything, um, you know. And and I think when we left and we started on this, there's so many of the things that I had never thought of until we were in places where there were people having problems uh, with all of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, gee, I never thought about that, that the rudder seals start leaking and that's a big problem because it's not easy to get to those unless you haul the boat out so now the boat is out i'm going to check that and yeah. you know i'm going to check the stuffing box and the, the shaft and everything um you know the prop uh friends of ours that had their propery done and i was like what do you mean you had it redone and he showed me uh that they Stripped, it, stripped <coughs> it all down and they put some sort of, um, not paint, but s- sort of s- uh, stuff that covered the entire prop to make it more efficient. And they mm-hmm. said, we'll get an extra half knot out of wow. it. Wow. And that's, oh, well, and, hey, you know how that is. Every yeah. half knot you can gain, you know, show me how. So, okay. uh, So, you know, there's a lot of those things and checking all the Seacocks now. Um, you know, do you grease yours or oil them? I haven't. They're still, they're still quite flexible
0: uh, yeah. or free. I shouldn't say flexible, but free. So, you know, whenever I leave the boat, I close them all. And I only open the ones that I need. And so I'm, I'm always opening and closing them. And, and they're, they don't seem too stiff to me. So mm-hmm. I, I, haven't, I haven't done anything to them.
2: Yeah, well, we obviously, uh, now that the boat's out, we closed them all. And here is another thing we learned that someone told us. We put steel wool. Oh, yeah. Keep the critters air, out. To keep the critters from climbing in there. So we put uh, steel wool in all of the seacocks from, you know, the holes yeah. underneath. So yeah. that no- nothing crawls up there. And, uh, yeah, so, but... um
0: just make sure you remember to take that steel wool out, because I'll tell you yeah. a story. So on, on my boat uh, last year, uh, they they soda blasted the hull down to the gel coat, uh, and then they put on a couple epoxy barrier coats, and then some uh, bottom paint, anti-fouling paint. And so the boat was all done. It was on the hard, sitting there. And I was there taking the cover off and getting it ready for spring launch, and I noticed out of one of my through hulls, I, I don't remember if it was the engine intake or, you know, the, the air conditioner intake, but one of those, because in my boat, they're all kind of grouped together. Yes. I noticed something hanging out of it and I looked at it and the, the guys who did the, the soda blasting put little rags up into each of the openings right. so that that abrasive grit wouldn't get up into the valve. Great job. Thank you very much but they forgot to take them out. Uh, so imagine if I, if I wouldn't have seen that. Now, maybe the guys at the marina check that. I don't know. But if they would have put it in the water and then I opened my seacock and I don't, I'm not getting any water, that, that would have driven me nuts. <laughs>
2: right. Well, even right. worse, having it sucked up into your impeller. Right, right. Uh, in, that's you know, right. Or, or,
0: or jam the seacock. It probably wouldn't have gotten yeah. past the valve itself because there were good size rags, but regardless, I, I would have, what the hell's going on? My things, yeah. you know, I, And I'd, I'd have to haul the boat out again to figure out what's going on.
2: So there's another thing they don't teach you in sailing school is to check all the seacocks and the holes that when you get the bottom painted, that That's they right. didn't leave any of the tape on or any of the stuff. any of that
0: stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so anyway. uh, um, uh,
2: so yeah, it's uh, uh, just just one more thing uh, yep. to worry about. Now your boat is in the water right now. It is, yeah. And, and you're uh, you've been out sailing on it, and and I think you have camp something or other coming up with your <laughs> grandkids, don't you? <laughs> yes, yes. So last last summer,
0: uh, I have two granddaughters who are now nine and and seven, and last summer when they were eight and six. Uh, They came out with their parents for a long weekend. And then the kids stayed for a week with just Elaine and I on the boat. So it was just Elaine and I, the two granddaughters. And, and they coined, they named that experience Camp Paradox. That's it. Right. The name of the boat is Paradox. So they, they named it Camp Paradox. So ever since then, they've been, they've been saying, okay, Pop, when's Camp Paradox this summer? You know, so that's, uh, that 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 must make you feel,
2: yeah, that must make you feel really good. Oh, absolutely. That's,
0: that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, how, I mean, how can it be any better than that? Right. So they yeah. enjoy it. And, and, uh, so they're looking forward to camp paradox and it's, it's going to be in August. So yeah, the boat's in the water. I've been doing a fair amount of sailing. Um, it's been good. Uh, so I went, I, I had a week with a skiing buddy of mine came down for a week and we spent a week together. And then, uh, a couple weeks after that, uh, my older son, uh, came and we spent a week sailing as well. So, That's been that's been fabulous. Yeah.
2: Very good. That's that's what it's all about. So. So, yeah. So I think, you know, the the end result of our our thing is we we had a great adventure, as I call it. And, uh, you know, we're going to be I I say I'll leave that as a secret that uh, we'll announce at some future date what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. As far as keeping it, selling it. Going to the Bahamas or who knows, <laughs> transatlantic, but I, I think transatlantic is off the, <laughs> off the charts. Right.
0: it might be might be trans trans Tampa Bay.
2: <laughs> yes, uh, uh, some, something something along those lines. Yeah. but uh, uh, No, it, it, it really it really was, and and you know I I'm not sure communication wise with all the people you have that if people do have questions, if somebody out there is saying. You know, that's really neat. We were really thinking about that, but we have questions. I have no problem, you know, if people oh, get into you and want to speak to us or forward their questions and, uh, you know, answer any questions because it is a big undertaking.
0: Yeah. Well, that that's very, very gracious of you. And uh, so if people have questions for you, if they email me, uh, cause the email address uh, is is sailing east at gmail.com. and then I can forward those to you. So yeah, that's great.
2: Sure, because uh, I, I know that he, you know we're not we've only been doing this for a f- few years, and this was our first trip. but it's amazing the number of people asking us questions now, right. We're the pros, the, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, like we we're the pros and and uh, uh, you know, I, I say, yeah, take that with a grain of salt. But uh, uh, but you know what? Everybody has a, an a, I, I shouldn't say their own ideas. And, you know, you see this all the time on Facebook questions of people that buy a boat. And and, you know, there's a hunter Facebook uh, yes. group, yeah. uh, you know, a, and. I think you, you at the end of the day, when you're doing this, you have to make your own decisions. You know, you can't let others, even as as knowledgeable as they are, their level of skill might be much more than yours, that you have to weigh it all out. And at the end of the day, when people say, well, we're going today or we're not going or we're going this, uh, this is this is the route we're going. You have to decide for yourself. Are you up to that? Is that makes sense to you? That's right. And I think that that is also one of the most important things is that you're in charge of your boat and your safety. So do what you think is best, not what others uh, are either suggesting or get caught up in the in you know we're all going tomorrow type of thing. Um, You know if it's not right for you or you don't feel comfortable, don't you know don't go or. Others may be sitting around and it's like, well, no, I've done all my homework. I know this. Is, this is going to work and I'm going yep. so. So I think I think that's that's critical in having that, that skill level. But um, I would also say I, I kid about I didn't learn that in sailing school. But I also say go to a sailing school. Um, to think that you're going to learn everything on your own. Uh, I guess you can and it'll be trial and error, but uh, it was sailing school was very valuable. Sure. In, in the things that I did learn about. Operating, I, I shouldn't say operating the boat, moving the boat, understanding, you know, all the little tricks that someone of 20 or 30 years has on you. Uh, you know that uh, I, I think there, there is a lot of valuable stuff but yeah. they're not going to teach you about all the other things of provisioning necessarily. Right. Uh, you know, or what type of fans you need on your boat. Right. Uh, right. uh but, uh, but that's why you, uh, listen to your podcast because you get to learn all these things. Well,
0: hopefully. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Mike, Hey, as a great way to to close out this podcast, we've been chatting for over an hour. I'll probably end up breaking this uh, as the other ones into two episodes. Uh, but I really thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, you're a wonderful guest. And I, I hope uh, when when you have some plans going forward that we'll have you back on and we'll chat about
2: those. Uh, absolutely. And uh, we'll stay in touch anyway, because uh, I think uh, I appreciate your friendship at this point. And you've, you've actually offered us some good advice based on your, your own experiences. And one of those is that the Coast Guard helicopter only goes out <laughs> 150 miles.
0: That's right. <laughs> 150 mile rule <laughs>
2: is to keep, keep that in mind, but, uh, right. no, I, I've, I've really enjoyed this and I, hopefully it's been beneficial to the people that listen to your, your podcast, because I would, that's what I wanted to try and get across is, is anybody can do this, but you, you have to really plan uh, right. accordingly. And it is, it is a lot of work as well as a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. so, so, uh, uh, we'll stay in touch and uh, I'll keep listening to your podcast about these people that are doing the crazy transatlantic stuff by themselves, <laughs> Yeah, which, which uh, I'll never do.
0: All right. Thanks again, Mike, for being on the podcast.
2: Okay. You have a good day. Take care. Bye.
1: All right. Let me stop recording. Well, Bela, that was great. I mean, what an amazing set of challenges that Mike and his wife faced and a whole year on the boat this to me is, I mean, mind blowing, right. To do this. And I know people spend even more on the boat, but what are your big takeaways from this type of experience?
0: Well, you know, I think (laughs) one thing that that I chuckled about a little bit when we talked, you know, a, a boat's a pretty small space and, and, uh, you're going to be on that pretty small space with that one person (laughs) all the time. (laughs) And many times there's, you know, you can't get off that small space and yeah, you can go to one corner of the boat and and the other, your partner can go to the other corner of the boat. Uh, But it's, it's, uh, you got to get along well. And, uh, and I think, so that's important, right? So when you think about uh, sailing with somebody for an extended period of time, uh, you really got to think through the, the personality, but also you got to think through the, to me, that one of the big things is sort of the risk profile. But, and what I mean by that is, is your willingness to take what, 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 when you're sailing, what parameters start making it uncomfortable for you when you're sailing and do those parameters closely align with the person you're with? Because if there's a big gap between those two, for example, if I'm comfortable sailing in 25 knots of breeze, but you start getting nervous, Mike, in 15 knots of breeze, then that's okay. I need to know that, and and we need to talk about that to say, look, Bela, if it starts getting windier than this, I start I start feeling uncomfortable, and because I think what happens is a lot of people don't talk about that, and they don't talk about those various different parameters, you know, like my anchor anxiety. <laughs> I'd mm-hmm. much rather be on a mooring ball than on an anchor. And some people say, "Well, well no, let's anchor because it's free, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to pay for a morning ball." And I'm like, "But I don't sleep well, so if you don't <laughs> talk about that kind of stuff, that's what, that's what I mean by risk profile—sort of the things that uh, we're comfortable with and not comfortable with." So I think that's that's really important, uh, much more so than someone's sailing skills, to, from in my perspective, because you can teach them those things. You can teach them how to how to crank something or turn something on or turn the wheel, right? Uh, So I think that's, that's a really, that's a really, really big thing. Uh, One of the key takeaways for me. What did you, what did you think, Mike?
1: It reminds me, sticking on this point for a second, Bela, I mean, I think the, the listeners know that you're a retired business professor, and I'm a current business professor. And one of the things that we've both taught is this idea of scenario planning. And that's what companies use or startups use to say, okay, if this happens, these are the steps that we take. If this happens, these other steps are what we take. And again, when we get in an argument or um, somebody's having a hard time physically or somebody gets sick um, emotionally, right? Or, or, or any kind of stress, right? People's stress levels are high. What are we gonna do and have that thought about in advance? I think, you know, we've had a lot of conversations over the the years on this podcast about planning for long trips, right? About supplies and equipment and the technology and finding the right marina and all of these things, right? right. But I think this idea of planning for these scenarios on these longer sales, right? with We know that these certain things are going to happen. Somebody's going to have kind of emotional stress. Somebody's going to get physically sick, right? Um, There's going to be arguments, right? So if we learn to recognize the symptoms of this early and we have a plan on how to deal with that, right? I mean, it's not going to prevent all kinds of problems, but I think this type of scenario planning would be really useful for people to do ahead of time just like planning out food and stops and all of these other things. Right. Um, right. Because we've heard this time and time again, right? Bella, it's been consistent, right? That there are these challenges. And Mike just has such a nice way of framing them. And he has, you know, he's so willing to share kind of all these things. Um, it, it, he really brings, for me, he brings that into focus. And that was what I thought about this idea of scenario planning and being prepared for these inevitable conflicts between humans um, in a small space that, that we're going to see. So I thought that right. was great, you know? Yeah.
0: And And while you were saying that, it got me thinking about this notion of not just talking about some of these things, but if you can, to practice them. So Love it. Be, because th- you know these are the stressful moments, like what when, when you're dropping anchor, or you're picking up a mooring ball, or you're coming in to dock, or the wind has picked up, and now you got to reef your sails. those are those are already stressful. and And if the person you're with, their sensitivity stress is higher than yours, then they were really stressed out. And, and, so, and that makes it much harder to to execute things, to do things than under normal circumstances. But if you practice them, then that helps people with their comfort of, of saying, okay, I know this is gonna happen next, or this is what I'm supposed to do next, because I've already done it a couple of times and I have confidence that I can do it. So that's why I think practicing a lot of these things are really important. And I know w- we've done some other episodes where you know, I would go out solo sailing by myself just on purpose to, to practice, you know, doing various different things, being able to dock my boat solo, being able to pick up a mooring ball solo. Um, and that's important that gave me great confidence, not only when I'm solo sailing, but also if I'm sailing with someone else and they get incapacitated for some reason, right? They get sick. Maybe they get seasick or maybe they get it a happens. cold and, and right. they're just, you know, or, or they sprayed an ankle right. and, and now all of a sudden I can't, and I, and I, everything I've ever done in my whole life is with two people coming into a dock and, and now I'm only, that one person I'm with is incapacitated. So that's why I think uh, this type of scenario planning, as, as you were calling it, which I think is great, is something that we we should not only just think about, but we should also try to practice
1: it. And you know what, Bela, there's another idea there where you can have a set of these kind of scenarios built in and you could actually, when people go through this practice session, right? And you're reefing or there's a wind pickup and you can say, hey, along the way, where, how, what's my level of discomfort, right? And what mm-hmm. speed, right? At what wind speed am I getting uncomfortable? And if each person does that and kind of fills out this app as they go in this, (coughs) like these practice sales, right now you have, you could put these two pieces of data together and you could, for somebody really have like a matrix or a grid on here's where everything is lined up. Here's like some yellow areas where there's some differences. You should talk about them. And here's some areas where there's some big differences and some prompting questions about how to go through that. I think that would be really cool. uh, A really cool tool for people preparing for a long distance sale. Yeah.
0: Yeah, particularly about you know you're going to sail across the ocean or something. Now you're t- yeah. now you're together for you know 14 to 20 days. Yeah.
1: And right. For even and, for two days, this would be important, but for 14 right. days or longer, it's yeah. I think it's critical. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Good for people's absolutely. mental health. You know, and their physical safety at the end of the day. You know. Yeah, and this is what
0: and part of this is is what you learn when you when you take sailing lessons, right? You you go to an ASA course. They they practice all these things with you. That's how you learn. Uh, but I think it's also, as we're talking about now, important to practice with the people you're going to sail with because mm-hmm. the dyna- the dynamics are different.
1: It's different yeah. scenarios. The boat is different. and And being open about the emotional element of this too. I don't think the sailing courses teach you this. And I no. think we both, I mean, there's pretty good research that shows if you're angry or very emotional, you tend to make worse decisions right so right. in something like this where good decision making is critical right and and clear headedness and and is is critical if you're emotional cuz you're fighting with your your partner right which is right. N- like a natural thing you've got to have some sort of internal trigger to say whoa we need to back up we need to do a little breathing right we need to give each other some space and i need to get my head on straight we both need right. to get our head on straight cuz we need to be making good decisions you know right and i, I bet you that's not talked about too much in these courses right so right. i think this is a nice secondary maybe some listeners out there want to make that part of their their toolkit you know yeah
0: and and you're absolutely right there's been a ton of research about this particularly in the airline industry Mm -hmm. where where the notion of the captain and the first officer the captain and the co-pilot you know the co-pilot never questioned anything and and then the accident investigations revealed that gee the co-pilot was uncomfortable with what was going on but because of the hierarchy didn't say anything and and now they've They've, they've done great efforts to tear those barriers down and, and open up communication. So there's been a lot of research, particularly with the airline industry, on these types of the importance of these communications and and expressing uh, your, uh, your concern about something if it's not, number one, person A, expressing that concern, and then the other person receiving it with open arms <laughs> to say, oh, thank you for bringing that up and let's talk about that. And and make sure that we're together on this. So there you go. Yeah.
1: So any master's theses, master's students, or PhD students, you know, in kind of psychology or decision making, or you know, right, that there's a good there's a good thesis topic. Yeah. Yeah. To see if the airline context is, um, is applicable, right? Is generalizable to sailing? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, good conversation, Mike. Yeah. The other thing I thought was interesting was this idea of knowing the deadlines. I thought this was fascinating that there was this certain day. I had no idea about any of this, right? That there's this certain day and, right, and everybody needed to be out of there. And if you waited till the last minute to make your arrangements, you were in deep trouble, right? So to me, that was a neat takeaway to kind of understand these deadlines and kind of make your reservation early and don't leave it till the very last day to show up where you need to be. Um, before those deadlines. And then the other thing about, you know, because again, we, all our conversations have been about putting it on the hard in the Northeast where it's cold, but this idea of, oh, you really do need to have electricity. And oh my gosh, I could imagine how important a dehumidifier would be on a boat, right. you know, when you're in the Southeast. That, I mean, again, I think anybody that's ever sailed down there gets it, but that to me was kind of interesting. Thinking about how you you um, you prepare your boat for, for storage, right, is really going to depend on where you're at, you know, right. what the elements are that you're dealing with. Yep. Yep. Very true. Very true.
0: Yeah. It's different, it's different all over the place. And mm-hmm. and there are all sorts of deadlines, right? There's not only deadlines. When Mike was talking about his insurance company says you got to mm-hmm. be north of this before the hurricane, hurricane season starts. right? Well, there's other types of deadlines. There's deadlines like your visa is gonna expire. So you mm-hmm. gotta leave the country and you don't wanna leave that to the last minute because if there's bad weather, you're not gonna wanna leave.
1: Right. Or a holiday that you don't know about in a different country or something. That's like right. That. right. So the office is closed and you can't go yep.
0: through to get the right paperwork done. So there's all sorts of deadlines like that. And and waiting till the last minute is is challenging, particularly when you're doing an activity such as this one that's so impacted by weather weather and equipment failures
1: yep. and let's be honest right you need people's help like at the marina sometimes too and you can't if you're not in a good position to ask for that help because you've picked a bad day or a bad week or whatever right it's much less likely that you're going to get the help that you need right because you're not giving the people who are giving the help a chance to help you because of your bad planning <laughs> right, right? Exactly. interesting. Thanks. what do you think should we wrap it up sounds good mike all right, listeners, thanks for joining us for yet another episode. We hope you found our conversation, both parts, with Mike Malakoff, interesting and thought-provoking. If you have questions about what we've discussed, as always, please feel free to get in touch with us. Email is the best way. It's sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com.
0: Hey, if you joined the podcast, hit that follow button. Uh, we now have a Patreon page, uh, so if you go to Patreon uh, forward slash sailingtheeast, uh, if you want to make a contribution to the podcast, that'd be great. Uh, so, but and so, until next time, uh, signing off from Upstate New York. See you all soon.
1: Thanks, Payla, and we'll see you next time.